All right, all right, back with the Recovery Pod, produced by my one and only Emily. Emily, did we ever come up with a name for this, or are we just sticking with Recovery Pod? Just Recovery Pod. Recovery Pod, yeah. okay. I like it, Simple. I like it. I think, you know, look, we, we will take what we can get. Um, we have done this now for, what, maybe five episodes, six episodes? Uh, more like 11, 12. <laughs> Good. See? That's that's why she's, you know, she's in charge because I don't know shit. <laughs> Anyways, it's good to be with you. Thank you for those that uh, that are following us and listening to us and all things uh, Recovery Pod. Um, I've taken place with Bobby and Frank who've been kind of leading the uh, troop, so to speak, with this podcast over the last, I guess, 10 or 11 weeks. And... Um, I'm going to give them a break because we have a special guest today that uh, that I think that uh, that I kind of wanted to handle because I just wanted to hear I wanted to hear it up close and personal um, a little bit about uh, his background and the things that he's doing and has done and his own journey in in in, in recovery and his sobriety. Um, I've known him for quite some time, so I'm always uh, it's always good to talk to him. Um, Dave Johnson, who is the CEO of Buena Vista Recovery Centers is with us today, and uh, I'm glad to have him. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Emily. It's a pleasure. Yeah, we uh, we've been doing this podcast now, uh, like I said, for you know for for ten or eleven episodes. We've had some interesting conversations with uh, people like uh, Gwen Henderson, and we've heard Bobby Cording's story. We've heard Frank Eisenhower's story. Uh, we've heard a little bit about Nate Belez, who works for us. All these people, obviously, one thing in common, we're all affiliated with Buena Vista, and uh, we are proud to be part of that, uh, you know, this this company. So we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what we're doing with Buena Vista, and obviously want to talk a little bit about your background, Dave, and, you know, the folks around here on the ground call you DJ, and so I'm going to stick with that. I like that. DJ, tell us a little bit about your background, uh, maybe a little bit about your, you know, uh, how you got into the business of, of, of working with drug addicts and alcoholics on a regular basis. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, I think, uh, wow, that's a big question. So, I mean, I can... You know, I was born in Chicago, and so if we've set aside a good hour or two, I can start then. But uh, my journey started then uh, and ended up in treatment at Hazelden in 1996. All Everything in between is, you know, not G-rated for this podcast, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up in Chicago, I, I'm interested to know what... Uh, uh, for those that that's you know, a huge sports town, what was it like growing up as a, you know as an adolescent and, and you know being a I guess obviously maybe a Cubs fan I don't know White Sox fan Cubs fan, fan Cubs fan Bulls don't fan. you blaspheme that's right come on now come on now it was a great time to grow up in Chicago I had the pleasure of the Cubs finally made it to the playoffs when I was in high school uh, Michael Jordan was part of it I got to watch Walter Payton and got to go to the Super Bowl in '86. For the Bears, and and really enjoyed such a an awesome time of being a Chicago sports fan growing up. And if anything, that contributed, right? I mean, I grew up drinking beers with my parents around Sunday football games, and having beers at Cubs games, and and watching fights in the stands of Blackhawks games when I was probably in middle school. So that was all part of the package. It's just you 
That's what you learned in Chicago, you know, watching yeah. the watching the teams lose and might as well get drunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with that, I mean, when did you start, baby, to see? Did you have consequences from this, or were you able to get by with it for a while and kind of? Oh. Or what was what was it like being Dave Johnson as a 16, 17 year old kid in Chicago, Illinois? Well. Let me think. My first intervention was 16. My second intervention was 19. My third intervention was 23. Got arrested a half a dozen times before high school. And all usual drunkard stuff, you know, fighting, stealing, drinking, getting, you know. I got thrown in my first time in the Chicago clink, drunk at a Blackhawks game at 13. My dad had to come pick me up. That's a, <laughs> That was an awesome story. So... And, and a few of those, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. So that's what it was. And so no, I knew I had a problem early. I mean, I'm, I'm the the son of alcoholic parents and a drug addict sister. So she got shipped off to treatment when I was in middle school. So my first family workshop, knee to knee work, as they called it, was I was probably 12 or 13 at a treatment center. My dad went to treatment three, four times. So my first, I always tell stories about going to an AA meeting, and, and what I picture is a bunch of guys walking around with robes, smoking cigarettes, carrying big books. His smile was probably, what, nine, ten years old? Mm. So I was introduced to that stuff very early. And so it was just part of our life. As I used to tell my story, it was just what I called a way of life. Yeah. And so, no, I, I started early and, and knew I had a problem early and didn't really necessarily think much too much about it other than that I was smarter and better than the disease, yeah. so I had it all figured out, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. It took yeah. me twelve years to figure that out. Yeah, true <laughs> alcoholic mind. That's right. It's, That's it's, right. You know, it's interesting that uh, you talk about both your mom and dad struggle with it. Um, did they ever? Did your mom and dad ever get sober? Or you talked a little bit about being introduced to the rooms. I mean, what, did he? Did did either one of them have sobriety, or or was it uh, was it something that? Uh, they maybe took a stab at, but didn't, you know, didn't yeah. pursue. Well, my dad, like I said, my dad went to treatment a couple times. And no, struggled and died an alcoholic, wondering, you know, and asking me a lot of questions about it. Well, I mean, by that time I had 20 plus years of sobriety. And so we had many, many a conversation about it, which is what it is. My mom got sober, probably only think, I think she had about two years when I went to treatment. And so she had, she had gone to the rooms of AA, never went to treatment. Um, what was she probably then, 60, 60 years old was she? So got so rough at 60. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, no, that was, a, that was the journey. And I guess I was the kind of poster child of sobriety in the family, for that matter, because my mom, you know, was... Uh, she just always, they both always struggled with it, really. Yeah. 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 So in your own, in your own journey, as you're going through, obviously, these adolescent years, and then you're becoming a young adult, and you're still actively drinking, and, I mean, was it always drinking, or did you experiment with other things? I mean, were you drugging, or were you, you know, getting high, anything like that, or was it just all drinking? Well, that was certainly my drug of choice. I loved alcohol from the first, you know, the, all the bad cliches, right? The first drink I had, I enjoyed it. It made me feel better. I was a blackout drinker. And so it was right out from a teenager on. I have all those kind of wake up the next day and wonder what the hell happened. But then began exp with everything. I mean, I was a, I'm a true addict to the bone. I, I smoked pot every day for 10 years. I did a lot of cocaine. I did a lot of hallucinogenic, you know, like it was just on. I mean, we just did it. You know, I was that kind of animal house kind of 
whatever you want to put in front of me, yeah. I'll do two. Yeah. Give me three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To this day, that's sure. right. Sure. Why not? Choice is more. Is that, yeah. Amen to that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So that, with, with that being said, you got sober at what, what, what age? 28. 28. Wow. 28. So you made it into, you know, your 20s, and I guess, obviously, you're, you're here with us today. So, you know, you somehow got through that. What were you doing through as far as, you know, obviously you weren't, you know, leading a, you know, you weren't a, a, a working in the treatment industry, I don't suppose. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, not drinking and drugging like that, you were doing something else, I suppose. Oh, no, it's something much more uh, appropriate. I was teaching high school. Oh, you perfect. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah, so no, nothing like drinking vodka in the parking lot and then going exposing to your high school students how they should not be drinking and drugging. That's right. And uh, which, which took its own toll on my shame and guilt and all those things. But, yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I played a lot of football through college, got, you know, four or five colleges uh, through that. That's, again, another good fun story when we have time for that, but um, started teaching and coaching and, and doing that, you know, your classic perennial football coach, you know, history teacher, and, and so enjoyed that, and, but really gravitated to at-risk kids and really working with a lot of the, the young men that really struggled, whether it be academically or behavior-wise, so it was interesting, so when I got sober and then got out of treatment, which I'm anticipating that next question, I just went right into the treatment industry right away right to a foster care, adolescent treatment center. I wasn't sober 60 days and took a job and, and really fell in love with this industry at a level that I've never turned back on. I just, I really immediately loved it, yeah. right, out, right out of the gates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. got sober and then and, and part of that early sobriety was total shift and change of career. Correct? Yeah, yeah, the, I came back from... Yeah, I came back from treatment, and uh, it was at the summer, and so I chose to not go back to the high school I was teaching at, <clears throat> and then got a job at a, at a again, a, like I said, at this adolescent treatment center in Colorado. I was living in Vail, Colorado, which, again, was another great story of a geographic move to get dry and clean, and I moved to Vail, um, which really worked well. Um, <laughs> right, because Vail is such a lily-white town. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then took a, and really, like I said, never really went back. And then bounced around, early sobriety, of course, you know, thought I had a lot of different things going on in my life and bounced around careers, but always came back to this field. So, you know, whatever that was, late, mid-90s to, you know, early 2000s, a couple different jobs, and then ended up at a, a treatment center in Wickenburg, Arizona, that I really found home and, and really my career took off there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because you're you, obviously you went to, uh, you mentioned it earlier, uh, Hazelton for, for, for treatment, kind of the, the, I mean, what I would say personally, the kind of the gold standard of our industry. You know, it's been around for, for, for a long time and have done quality work for years and years. Uh, what was that experience like and, and what maybe, how did you feed off of that experience being at, at, at a place like Hazelton? Sure. You know, and I, and I refer to it as that, right? It, it truly gave me the introduction and the foundation of how I built my career and how I've been sober ever since. I, was, I had a wonderful experience there. I mean, wonderful now, years later, looking back on it, it was a struggle then. But I was introduced to the 12 stuff, steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in, in a way that I embraced. And I really wanted to be sober. I really, I, I, I was 
desperate to be sober. I had tried many other ways, as the big book points out, of every possible imaginable way to get sober and was unable to. And I have been sober since the day I went there and was introduced to the steps. So I, I call myself a right-wing big booker. And it was given to me by Hazelden and, and the foundation that that did. And then it allowed me the opportunity to introduce me to AA when I got out, found a group of men in the fellowship of AA that allowed me just a wonderful experience those first couple of years and built a foundation of what has now presented itself of a, a life of service, even not outside of work, just in my own sobriety, yeah. uh, which is a blessing, and I feel grateful for it every day. And, you know, that is something I carry with me the entire time. Even here at Buena Vista, as we have a different clientele and a different mission, I still have that as the foundation to your question of that. What I learned there, even as in treatment, because then, of course, I became friends with all my counselors and working in the field. I went back there and began a business relationship with the, with the organization that went on for decades. Um, so it truly was kind of a home base for me for, and, and still is in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a very special place, too. It, yeah. It's somewhere that you, you hold close and dear to you. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that, that we, uh, you know, that, that where our journeys of, of you know, long-term sobriety, specifically yours, I've got, you know, uh, geez, 11 years coming up and a week and uh, I remember when we first met you know and and uh, some of the things that you shared with me along the way you know it's just uh, it's important those uh, the, the, the people and the places and the things that you you know you experience in, in early in early sobriety and how you know how you carry it and you know how you hold it sacred to you uh, you know along the way and so that's kind of what I'm hearing from you is that yeah. that, that experience with Hazelden was, you know, it never leaves you. I couldn't agree more. All of those, it's exactly how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so during the, you know, during your career, obviously that's, that, that you've, you've been in the, the industry. Uh, what, what have you seen, you know, and we're talking about going back, I guess, 25 years. What, what, what changes have you seen over the, what would be the, the, the two or three things that you would point out that would be the big changes in our industry as a whole that, that, that and, and maybe even going forward of what it may, may look like in the next 25 years. Sure. Well, I hope I can answer that one. That would be sweet. But, uh, I mean, I think that I, I was lucky enough to be, and I'll call it trained, right? Trained in the, the mid-90s model of the private pay um, traditional 30-day treatment model. And so that's how I grew up was was – you know, there was no real extended care. There was no real um, differentiation outside of you went to treatment, you went to a private pay 30-day treatment center. It was destination. You either got on a plane or you went. It was very specialized to where, you know, it was a, I mean, granted, Hazelden was kind of its, for its own little niche waspy kind of group of its own entity, but, you know, it was geographic and some of those things, but it was private. You know, there was no insurance reimbursement. So the the first thing that jumped to mind when you asked that kind of question, of course, is the introduction of insurance payment, right? The, the paying system of insurance covering, which was around 2010, 2011 from the, you know, uh, Affordable Care Act and the Parity Act, which was 2010. The evolution of the industry going from a private pay industry to a third-party payer model, which is, is the biggest impact I think we've had. Uh, and even to me personally, you know, the recession was right before then, so it really shifted our industry into a lot of different segments. 
And of course, now you have much more acceptance in regards to the addict and the alcoholic. And, um, you know, it's not the shame-based system as in the old days where you had to kind of slink off to treatment for a couple of weeks and say you were on, vac on vacation, and I'm air quoting for the radio podcast, right, of it wasn't the same kind of thing. And of course, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll date myself, but that was pre-internet too, right, of, you know, this was a referral-based business. You know, you and I met as, as people in recovery that wanted to be of service and work in this industry, and me and my peers and many of the people I have now become lifelong friends with were treatment center owners and executives and people in the fellowship that we wanted to be able to provide a service for. And, you know, I met wonderful, wonderful people along the way and, and still continue to be friends with them. It was truly a referral-based business. So the introduction of the internet, the introduction of third-party payer now has what we now see is, is a model that is much more of a, I don't know, whatever what you want to call it, a hospital-type medical model, introduction to, of MAT and medical-assisted treatment and some of those you know, proliferate, even smaller kind of things of it. But, I mean, I think that uh, the future of that, and so all those things culminating to what we have, even here at Buena Vista, in regards to a, you know, a large, couple large campuses that do high-volume admits and a social service kind of model that's going to be a true community service to people of the city of Phoenix and the city of Tucson and in the Arizona marketplace. But, and I continue to see that maybe that is the future of treatment, right, is, you know, considering we're being driven by those third-party payers, right, insurance companies, the government, some of those kind of regulatory bodies of how we deliver care as an industry, um, you know, it's going to be continued to be shrunk, I guess is a word that comes to mind. And so how we try to do what we started to do, which was get people sober, right? Yeah. How do we get somebody sober in 25 days, yeah. 30 days, 60 days? And we can all talk about you know, continuum of care and outpatient and all these things, and that's great in theory, but what we don't have is that, you know, opportunity to help somebody like we used to where we were able to keep them in treatment a longer period of time and do it in a way that was really impactful on them and their lives. They have to have a different model in that regard. So I think the future of that is how can we as providers and how can this industry support now a catastrophic disease that's hurting millions and millions of people. You can't have a conversation with anybody at the grocery store or a coffee shop or anybody that hasn't been impacted by addiction or alcoholism. You just can't. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think the future of the industry is going to have to be more impactful as a community service than it is just what it, you know, a form of health care, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that's, you know, all, all that insight is, you know, is, is interesting. And I think that at the end of the day, I mean, it's, you know, it, whether it was, 25 years ago or it's present day or 25 years from now, I think there, you know, one thing never changes. And that's, you know, the, the, the client, the, the individual that's calling. The phone rings and somebody needs relief. I mean, that's they're right. hurting, they're struggling. That will never change. You know, the way we care for that client, yeah, it may not look the way it used to. The length of stay doesn't look like it used to. Uh, the way we pay and, and, and the reimbursements, yeah, that all changes. But at the end of the day, it's still about the addict, the, the, right. the, you know, right. the, the sick and the suffering. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that, um, that we wound up in Arizona together. Our, our journey kind of intertwines through, you know, all uh, sorts of different places throughout uh, the last decade for me. But, um, you know, uh, I think we're lucky to have, I think the one thing about, BV is that we have 
we have really good people that work for us. Um, you know, it's it's we've got uh, kind of a mix of folks that uh, are in recovery, and some are what we call normies. And but, but you know, at the end of the day, we we really believe in what we're doing. Um, you know, your vision, your leadership for the company, I think, is kind of uh, ingrained throughout the you know uh, the entire you know company. Um, I would ask before we finish up, maybe maybe just to share uh, maybe a minute or two about uh, about your experience with Buena Vista and that, that since you've taken over uh, the helm and, and maybe where it's going uh, uh, in the future. Sure. Well, I think you know it's funny because I've had an opportunity to have a variety of different jobs in the past. We kind of jumped through. I mean, I had the opportunity to own my own treatment center and learn from that experience and then be a consultant for a number of years and have dozens and dozens of clients in every aspect of it. And it's kind of come full circle to this opportunity here at Buena Vista. And I am so appreciative of the opportunity. And I, and I think of it every day as an opportunity of how, to your point, of how we can help the struggling alcoholic and addict and their families at a level that we just take dear to heart, right? And I think of that opportunity every day. And so the vision of the, the business is, is ultimately how do we get people sober? And to, the, to say that, and, the, and I, we can make all the jokes and, and talk about lip service around what that means is that the energy of that throughout our company is something we want to think about every day. And, and we bring that through, um, you know, through a corporate environment, through the treatment teams, through the clinical aspect, through the medical teams, and even, you know, through the sales and marketing side of things. So our goal is to be of service to the alcoholic addict and their families in crisis. You know, secondarily, I think the future of the organization is great. We have an opportunity to be in a couple different cities here in, the, in Arizona. We're, we're in Tucson. We're in Chandler, which is, you know, the Phoenix area. We're, we're, we're going to explore some options in regards to expanding into the northern parts of the state and the western parts of the state. And, 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 a, and a wonderful mandate from a very supportive board that's going to allow us the opportunity to grow at a, an appropriate pace that's going to be healthy for the organization and, and continue a level of care that we want to be able to provide um, with that client being first, you know. And then a secondarily, be a great place to work. I, I think that one of the pleasures I've had over these last few years is the, the pleasures of being an employer. In, in the age of COVID and what we have here today, what it's like to, to come to a place to work every day where you, you love your job and you love the organization, and we're looking out for those people from everything from, you know, their health and their concerns of, of being a frontline healthcare worker. And what that means to us in, as an organization is really important to us. So, uh, you know, the future of Buena Vista is bright, and, and I'm super excited to be part of it uh, as a team approach. You know, I, to your point, we brought in a lot of good people. You know, I've, I've got an all-star team here, all the way down to the people in this room and the people you've already heard in these podcasts. What a great group of people um, from all walks of life, and it's just a super exciting time. Yeah, wow, well, so well put. Yeah, I totally agree. It is. A, it's. It's. Um, I like what you said about that, and and you know, it's. It, there's a lot to be said when you actually enjoy your work, you know, and and uh, you know, it's certainly uh, it's certainly a blessing to to be able to be part of uh, you know a, a company that's. Uh, that's young and uh, but ultimately at the end of the day like you said and you've reinforced it not only in this podcast but I hear it enough you know in our in in, in the meetings that we have and and, and the, the the team in general is that we're, we're you know our number one priority is obviously to take care of the client to get people sober and to change lives so 
Well, what a great experience. I'm glad that, uh, that we got a chance to grab you for a few minutes today. DJ, thank you for your time. Um, maybe in the future we can bring you back on and we could talk a little bit more about the, you know, the Bears and what they're going to do next year <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's been kind of a dry, dry spell for you guys. Oh, come on now. Don't go there. That's not fair. But I'd love to do that, and thanks for the opportunity. Anytime. Appreciate yeah. it. Right. When God got us, then we-